Chapter 9 of Recruit for Andromeda by Stephen Marlowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9. His name was Temple, and it was the year 1960. Christopher Temple had problems. He had his own life, too, which had nothing to do with the life of the real Christopher Temple, departed thirty-odd years later on the Nowhere Journey. Or rather, this was Christopher Temple living his second ECR. Temple, who had lost once, and who, if he lost again, would take the dreams and hopes of the Western world down into the dust of defeat with him. But as the fictional, although in a certain sense real, Christopher Temple of 1960, he knew nothing of this. The world could go to pot. The world was going to pot anyway. Temple shuddered as he poured a fourth Canadian, downing it in a tasteless, burning gulp. Temple was a thermonuclear engineer with government-subsidized degrees from three universities, including the fine new one at Desert Rock. Temple was a thermonuclear engineer with top-secret government clearance. Temple was a thermonuclear engineer with more military secrets buzzing around inside his head than in a warehouse of burned Pentagon files. Temple was also a thermonuclear engineer whose wife spied for the Russians. He'd found out quite by accident, not meaning to eavesdrop at all. Returning home early one afternoon because the production engineer called a halt while further research was done on certain unstable isotopes, Temple was surprised to find his wife had a gentleman caller. He heard their voices clearly from where he stood out in the sun parlor, and for a ridiculous instant, he was torn between slinking upstairs and ignoring them altogether, or barging into the living room like a high school boy flushed with jealousy. The mature thing to do, of course, was neither, and Temple was on the point of walking politely into the living room, saying hello and waiting for an introduction, when snatches of the conversation stopped him cold. Silly Charles, Kit doesn't suspect a thing. I would know. How can you be sure? Intuition. On a framework of intuition, you would place the fate of the Red Empire. Empire, Charles? Temple could picture Lucy's raised eyebrow. He listened now, hardly breathing. For one wild moment, he thought he would retreat upstairs and forget the whole thing. Life would be much simpler that way. A meaningless surrender to unreality, however, it couldn't be done. Yes, Empire. Oh, not the land-grabbing, slave-dominating sort of things the imperialists used to attempt, but a more subtle and hence more enduring Empire. Let the world call us Liberator. We shall have Empire. Lucy laughed, a sound which Temple loved. <laughs> You may keep your ideology, Charles. Play with it, bathe in it, get drunk on it, or drown yourself in it. I want my money. You are frank. Temple could picture Lucy's shrug. I am a paid professional spy. By now you have most of the information you need. I shall have the rest tonight. I'll see you in hell first! Temple cried in rage, stalking into the room and almost smiling in spite of the situation when he realized how melodramatic his words must sound. Kit! Kit! Lucy raised hand to mouth, then backed away, flinching as if she had been struck. Yeah, Kit. A political cuckold. Or does Charles get other services from you as well? Kit, you don't! The man named Charles motioned for silence. Dapper, clean-cut, good-looking, except for a surly, pouting mouth. He was a head shorter than either Temple or Lucy. Don't waste your words, Sophia. Temple overheard us. Sophia, thought Temple. Sophia? He said. Charles nodded coolly. 
The real Mrs. Temple was observed, studied, her every habit and whim catalogued by experts. A plastic surgeon, a psychologist, a sociologist, a linguist, a whole battery of experts molded Sophia here into a new Mrs. Temple. I must congratulate them, for you never suspected. Lucy, Temple demanded dully. Reason stood suspended in a limbo of objective acceptance and subjective disbelief. Mrs. Temple was eliminated. Regrettable, because we don't deal in senseless mayhem, but necessary. Temple was not aware of leaving limbo until he felt the bruising contact of his knuckles with Charles' jaw. The short man toppled, fell at his feet. Get up! Temple cried, then changed his mind and tensed himself to leap upon the prone figure. Hold it! Charles told him quietly, wiping blood from his lips with one hand, drawing an automatic from his pocket with the other. You better freeze, Temple. You die if you don't. Temple froze, watched Charles slither away across the high-piled green carpet until, safely away across the room, he came upright groggily. He turned to the dead Lucy's double. What do you think, Sophia? I don't know. We could get out of here, probably get along without the final information. That isn't what I mean. Naturally, we'll never receive the final facts. I mean, what do you think about Temple? Sophia said she didn't know. Left alone, he would go to the police. Kidnapped, he would be worse than useless. Harmful, actually, for the authorities would suspect something. Even worse if we killed him. The point is, we don't want the authorities to think Temple gave information to anybody. Gave is hardly the word, said Sophia. I was a good wife, but also a good gleaner. One hundred thousand dollars, Charles. You bitch, Temple said. Later, Charles told the woman. The solution is this, Sophia. We must kill Temple, but it must look like suicide. Sophia frowned in pretty concern. Do we have to kill him? What's the matter, my dear? Have you been playing the wifely role too long? If Temple stands in the way of Red Empire, Temple must die. Temple edged forward. Uh-uh, said Charles. Mustn't. He waved the automatic, and Temple subsided. Is that right? Sophia demanded. Well, you listen to me. I have nothing to do with your Red Empire. I fled the Iron Curtain, came to live here voluntarily. Do you really think it was on a voluntary basis that you went? We allowed you to go, Sophia. We encouraged it. That way, the job of our technicians was all the simpler. Whether you like it or not, you have been a cog in the machine of the Red Empire. I still don't see why he has to die. Leave the thinking to those who can. You have a smile, a body, a certain way with men. I will think. I think that Temple should die. I don't, Sophia said. We're delaying needlessly. The man dies and Charles raised his automatic, sufficiently irked to forget his suicide plan. A gap of eight or nine feet separated the two men. It might as well have been infinity, and it would be soon for Temple. He saw Charles' small hand tighten around the automatic, saw the trigger finger grow white. The weapon pointed at a spot just above his navel, and briefly he found himself wondering what it would feel like for a slug to rip into his stomach, burning a path back to his spine. He decided to make the gesture, at least if he could do no more. He would jump for Charles. Sophia beat him to it. And because Lucy was dead and Sophia looked exactly like her and Temple could not quite accept the fact, 
It almost seemed the most natural thing in the world. Cat quick, Sophia leaped upon Charles' back, and they went down together in a twisting, thrashing tangle of arms and legs. Temple did not wait for an invitation. He launched himself down after them, and then things began to happen. Fast. Sophia rolled clear, rose to her hands and knees, panting. Charles sat up, cursing, nursing a badly scratched face. Temple hurtled at him, stretched him on his back again, began to pound hard fists into his face. Charles did not have the automatic. Neither did Temple. Something exploded against the back of Temple's head violently, throwing him off Charles and tumbling him over. Dimly, he saw Sophia following through, the automatic in her hand, but foremost. Temple's senses reeled. He tried to rise, succeeded only in a kind of shuddering slither before he subsided. He wavered between consciousness and unconsciousness, heard as in a dream snatches of conversation. Shoot him! Shoot him! Shut up! I have... gun... go to hell! Kill! The only way! My way is different. Out of here. Discuss later. Feel... I said... out of here. The voices became a meaningless liquid torrent cascading into a black pit. Now Temple sat with a water glass, a third full of Canadian in his hand, every once in a while reaching up gingerly to explore the bruised swelling on his head, the blood-matted hair which covered it. To be a cuckold was one thing, but to be the naive political pawn sort of cuckold, who is not a cuckold at all, he told himself, is far worse. To live with his woman, eat the meals she cooked for him, talk to her, think she understood him, sympathize with him, to make love to her with passion while she responds with play-acting for a $100,000 salary was suddenly the most emasculating thing in the world for Temple. He had not thought to ask how long it had been going on. Better, perhaps, if he never knew. And somewhere lost in the maze of his thoughts was the grimmest, bleakest reality of them all. Lucy was dead. Lucy. Dead. But where did Lucy leave off? Where did Sophia begin? Was Lucy dead the night they returned more than a little drunk from the chamber's party? That night they danced in the living room until dawn obscured the stars and he carried Lucy upstairs? Lucy or Sophia? And the day they motored to the lake, their secret lake, hardly more than a damned widened stream, and dreamed of things they could do when the Cold War ended? Lucy? Or Sophia? Had he ever noticed a difference in the way Lucy Sophia cooked? In the way she spoke? The way she let him make love to her? He thought himself into a man-sized headache and found no answers. This way, at least, the loss of his wife was not as traumatic as it might have been. He knew not when she died or how, and, in fact, Lucy Sophia seemed so much like the real thing that he did not know where he could stop loving and start hating. And the girl, the Russian girl, had saved his life. Why? He couldn't answer that one either, unless if it were as Charles suggested. Sophia had studied Lucy so carefully, had learned her likes and dislikes, her wants and desires, had memorized and practiced every quirk of her character to such an extent that Sophia was Lucy in essence. Which, Temple thought, would make it all the harder to seek out Sophia and kill her. That was the answer, the only answer. Temple felt a dull ache where his heart should have been. A pressure, a pounding, an unpleasant, unfamiliar lack of feeling. If he took his story to the FBI, he had no doubt that Charles, Sophia, and whoever else worked this thing with them would be caught, 
but he, Temple, would find himself with a lifelong, unslackable emotional thirst. He had to quench it now, and then feel sorry so that he might heal. He had to quench it with Sophia's blood. Alone. He found her a week later at their lake. He had looked everywhere and had about given up, almost, in fact, ready to turn his story over to the police. But he had to think, and their lake was the place for that. Apparently, Sophia had the same idea. Temple parked on the highway half a mile from their lake, made his way slowly through the woods, golden dappled with sunlight. He heard the waters gushing merrily, heard the sound of some small animal rushing off through the woods. He saw Sophia. She lay on their sunning rock in shorts and halter, completely relaxed, an opened magazine face down on the rock beside her, a pair of sunglasses next to it. She had one knee up, one leg stretched out, one forearm shielding her eyes from the sun, one arm down at her side. Seeing her thus, Temple felt the pressure of his automatic in its holster under his arm. He could draw it out, kill her before she was aware of his presence. Would that make him feel better? Five minutes ago, he would have said yes. Now he hesitated. Kill her, who seemed as completely Lucy as he was Temple? Send a bullet ripping through the body which he had known and loved, or the body that had seemed so much like it he had failed to tell the difference. Murder. Lucy? No, he said aloud. Her name is Sophia. The girl sat up, startled. Get, she said. Lucy. You can't make up your mind either. She smiled, just like Lucy. Dumbly, he sat down next to her on the rock. Strong sunlight had brought a fine dew of perspiration to the bronzed skin of her face. She got a pack of cigarettes out from under the magazine, lit one, offered it to Temple, lit another, and smoked it. Where do we go from here? She wanted to know. I, you came to kill me, didn't you? Is that the only way you can ever feel better, Kit? I... He was going to deny it, then think. Don't deny it, please. She reached in under his jacket, withdrawing her hand with the snub-nosed automatic in it. Here, she said, giving it to him. He took the gun, hefted it, let it fall, clattering on the rock. Listen, she said. I could have told you I was Lucy. If I said now that I am Lucy, and if I kept on saying it, you'd believe me. You'd believe me because you want to. Well, said Temple, I am not Lucy. Lucy is dead, but... But I was Lucy in everything but being Lucy. I thought her thoughts, dreamed her dreams, loved her loves. You killed her. No. I had nothing to do with that. She was killed, yes. Not by me. Kit, if I asked you when Lucy stopped and... And when I began... Could you tell me? He had often thought about that. No, he said truthfully. You're as much my wife as she was. She clutched at his hand impulsively. Then, when he failed to respond, she withdrew her own hand. Then, then I am Lucy. If I am Lucy in every way, Lucy never died. You betrayed me. You stood by while murder was committed. You were guilty of espionage. Lucy loved you. I am Lucy. Betrayed me. For a hundred thousand dollars. For the chance to live a normal life. 
for the chance to forget Leningrad in the wintertime. Watery potato soup, rags for clothing, swaggering commissars, poverty, disease. Do you think I realized I could fall in love with you so completely? If I did, don't you think that would have changed things? I am not Sophia Kit. I was, but I am not. They made me Lucy. Lucy can't be dead, not if I am she in every way. What can we do? I don't know. I only want to be your wife. Well, then tell me, he said bitterly. Shall I go back to the plant to continue working, knowing all the time that our most closely guarded secret is in Russian hands and that my wife is responsible? He laughed. Shall I do that? Your secrets never went anywhere. Shall I... What? Your secrets never went anywhere. Charles is dead. I have destroyed all that we took. I am not Russian any longer. American. They made me American. They made me Lucy. I want to go right on being Lucy, your wife. Temple said nothing for a long time. He realized now he could not kill her. But everything else she suggested. Tell me, he said. Tell me how long you have been Lucy. You've got to tell me that. How long have we been married? You know how long. Three years. Sophia crushed her cigarette out on the rock, wiped perspiration, tears, from her cheek with the back of her hand. You have never known anyone but me in your marriage, Bedkit. You... You're lying. No. They did what they did on the eve of your marriage. I have been your wife for as long as you have had one. Temple's head whirled. It had been a quick courtship. He had known Lucy only two weeks in those hectic postgraduate days of 1957, but for fourteen brief days, it was Sophia he had known all along. Sophia, I... There is no Sophia. Not anymore. He had hardly known Lucy, the real Lucy. This girl here was his wife, always had been. Had the first fourteen days with Lucy been anything but a dream? He was sorry Lucy had died, but the Lucy he had thought dead was Sophia, very much alive. He took her in his arms, almost crushing her. He held her that way, kissed her savagely, letting passion of a different sort take the place of murder. This is my woman, he thought, and awoke on his white pallet in nowhere. I am awake, said Temple. We see that. You shouldn't be. No? No. There is one more dream. Temple dozed restfully, but was soon aware of a commotion. Strangely, he did not care. He was too tired to open his eyes anyway. Let whatever was going to happen, happen. He wanted his sleep. But the voice persisted. This is highly irregular. You came in here once and... I did you a favor, didn't I? That voice is familiar, Temple thought. Well, yes, but what now? Temple's record is now one and one. In the second sequence, he was the victor. The Soviet entry had to extract certain information from him and turn it over to her people. She extracted the information well enough, but somehow Temple made her change her mind. The information never went any place. How Temple managed to play counter-spy, I don't know, but he played it and won. That's fine, but what do you want? The final ECR is critical. The voice was Arcalian's. How critical, I can't tell you. Sufficient, though, if you know that you lose no matter how Temple fares. If the Russian woman defeats Temple, you lose. Naturally. 
Let me finish. If Temple defeats the Russian woman, you also lose. Either way, Earth is the loser. I haven't time to explain what you wouldn't understand anyway. Will you cooperate? Uh, you did save Temple's life. Um, yes, all right. The third dream sequence is the wrong dream. The wrong contest with the wrong antagonist at the wrong time, when a far more important contest is brewing, with the fate of Earth as reward for the victor. What do you propose? I will arrange Temple's final dream. But if he disappears from this room, don't be alarmed. It is a dream of a different sort. Temple won't know it until the dream progresses. You won't know it until everything is concluded, but Temple will fight for a slave or a free Earth. Can't you tell us more? There is no time, except to say that along with the rest of the galaxy, you've been duped. The Nowhere Journey is a grim, tragic farce. Awaken, Kit! Temple awoke into what he thought was the third and final dream. Strange, because this time he knew where he was and why. Knew also that he was dreaming. Even remembered vividly the other two dreams. Stealth, said Arcalion, and led Temple through long, white-walled quarters. They finally came to a partially open door and paused there. Peering within, Temple saw a room much like the one he had left, with two white-gowned figures standing anxiously over a table, and prone on the table was Sophia, whom Temple had loved short moments before, in his second dream. Moments? Years. Never except in a dream. She's lovely, Arcalion whispered. I know. Like himself, Sophia was garbed in a loose jumper and slacks. Stealth, said Arcalion again. Haste. Arcalion disappeared. Well, Temple told himself. What now? At least in the other dreams, I was thrust so completely into things, I knew what to do. He rubbed his jaw grimly. Not that it did much good the first time. Temple poked the partially ajar door with his foot, pushing it open. The two white-smocked figures had their backs to him, leaned intently over the table and Sophia. Without knowing what motivated him, Temple leaped into the room, grasped the nearer figure's arm, whirled him around. Startled confusion began to alter the man's coarse features, but his face went slack when Temple's fist struck his jaw with terrible strength. The man collapsed. The second man turned, mouthing a stream of what must have been Russian invective. He parried Temple's quick blow with his left hand, crossing his own right fist to Temple's face and almost ending the fight as quickly as it had started. Temple went down in a heap and was vaguely aware of the Russian's booted foot hovering over his face. He reached out, grabbed the boot with both hands, twisted. The man screamed and fell, and then they were rolling over and over, striking each other with fists, knees, elbows, gouging, butting, cursing. Temple found the Russian's throat, closed his hands around it, applied pressure. Fists pounded his face, nails raked him, but slowly he succeeded in throttling the Russian. When Temple got to his feet, trembling, the Russian stared blankly at the ceiling. He would go on staring that way until someone shut his eyes. Not questioning the incomprehensible, Temple knew he had done what he must. Hardly seeking for the motive he could not find, he lifted the unconscious Sophia off the table, slung her long form across his shoulder, plotted with her from the room. Arcalion had said haste. He would hurry. He next was aware of a spaceship. Remembering no time lag, he simply stood in the ship with Arcalion and Sophia. He knew it was a spaceship because he had been in one before, and although the sensation of weightlessness was not present, they were in deep space. Stars you never see through an obscuring atmosphere hung suspended in the viewports. Cold bright, not flickering against the plush blackness of deep space, 
phalanxes and legions of stars without numbers, in such wild profusion that space actually seemed three-dimensional. This is a different sort of dream, said Sophia in English. I remember... I remember everything. Kit! Hello. He felt strangely shy, became mildly angry when Arcalion hardly tried to suppress a slight snicker. Well, that second dream wasn't our idea, Temple protested. Once there, we acted. And... And... said Sophia. And nothing, Arcalion told them. You haven't time. This is a spaceship, not like the slow, bumbling craft your people use to reach Mars or Jupiter. Our people? Temple demanded. Not yours? Will you let me finish? Light is a laggard crawler by comparison with the drive propelling the ship. Temple, Sophia, we are leaving your galaxy altogether. Is that a fact? said Sophia, her Jupiter found knowledge telling her they were traveling an unthinkable distance. For some final contest between us, no doubt, to decide whether the USSR or the US represents Earth. Kit, I lo love you, but... But Russia is more important, huh? No, I didn't say that. All my training has been along those lines, though, and even if I'm aware it is indoctrination, the fact still remains. If your country is truly better, but if I have seen your country only through the eyes of Pravda, how can I... I don't know, Kit. Let me think. You needn't, said Arkalian, smiling. If the two of you would let me get on with it, you'd see this particular train of thought is meaningless. Quite meaningless. Arkalian cleared his throat. Strange. But I have much the same problem as Sophia has. My indoctrination was far more subtle, though, far more convincing, based upon eons of propaganda methods. Temple, Sophia, those who initiated the nowhere journey for hundreds of thousands of worlds of your galaxy did so with a purpose. I know. To decide who gets their vast knowledge. Wrong. To find suitable hosts in a one-way relationship which is hardly symbiosis, really out-and-out -out parasitism. What? And Sophia, what are you talking about? The sick, decadent, tired old creatures you consider your superiors. Parasites. They need hosts in order to survive. Their old hosts have been milked dry, have become too highly specialized, are now incapable physically or emotionally of meeting a wide variety of environmental challenges. The nowhere journey is to find a suitable new host. They have found one. You, of Earth. I don't understand, Temple said remembering the glowing accounts of the superboys he had been given by his brother Jason. I just don't get it. How can we be duped like that? Wouldn't someone have figured it out? And if they have all the power everyone says, there isn't much we can do about it anyway. Arkalian scowled darkly. Then write Earth's obituary. You'll need one. Go ahead, Sophia told Arkalian. There's more you want to say. All right. Temple's thought is correct. They have tremendous power. That is why you could be duped so readily. But their power is not concentrated here. These much faster-than-light ships are an extreme rarity, for the power drive no longer exists. Five ships in all, I believe. Hardly enough to invade a planet, even for them. It takes them thousands of years to get here otherwise. Thousands. Just as it took me when I came to Mars and Earth in the first place. What? cried Temple. You, I am one of them. Correct. I suppose you would call me a subversive but I had made up my mind. Parasitism is unsatisfactory when the Maker got us started on symbiosis. Somewhere along the line, evolution took a wrong turn. We are... monsters. What do you look like? Sophia demanded while Temple stood there shaking his head and muttering to himself. You couldn't see me, I'm afraid, 
I was the representative here to show you how things were going, and when my people found you of the earth divided yourselves into two camps, they realized they had been considering your abilities in halves. Put together, you are probably the top culture of your galaxy. So we win, said Temple. Right and wrong. You lose. Earthmen will become hosts. Know what a backseat driver is, Temple? You would be a backseat driver in your own body, thinking, feeling, wanting to make decisions, but unable to. Eating when the parasite wants to, sleeping at his command, fighting, loving, living as he wills it, and perishing when he wants a new garment. Oh, they offer something in return. Their culture, their way of life, their scientific, economic, social system. It's good, too, but not worth it. Did you know that their economic struggle between democratic capitalism and totalitarian communism ended almost half a million years ago? What they have now is a system you couldn't even understand. Well, Temple mused, even if everything you said were true, don't tell me you don't believe me. If it were true, and we wanted to do something about it, what could we do? Now, nothing. Nothing but delay things by striking swiftly and letting fifty centuries of time perform your rearguard action. Destroy the one means your enemy has of reaching Earth within foreseeable time, and you have destroyed his power to invade for a hundred centuries. He can still reach Earth, but the same way you journeyed to nowhere. Ten thousand years of space travel and suspended animation. You saw me that way once, Temple, and wondered. You thought I was dead, but that is another story. Anyway, let my people invade your planet, ten thousand years hence. If democracy and free thought and individual enterprise win over totalitarian standardization, as I think they will, your people will be more than a match for the decadent parasites who may or may not have sufficient initiative to cross space the slow way and attempt invasion in ten thousand years. Ten thousand? said Temple. Five from Earth to nowhere. The distance to my home is far greater, but the rate of travel can be increased. Ten thousand years. Tell me, Temple demanded abruptly, is this a dream? Arcalion smiled. Yes and no. It is not a dream like the others, because I assure you that your bodies are not now resting on a pair of identical white tables. Still, in the other dreams, physical things could happen to you, while now you'll find you can do things as in a dream. For example, neither one of you knows the intricacies of a spaceship, yet if you are to save your planet, you must know the operation of the most intricate of all spaceships, a giant space station. Then we're not dreaming, asked Temple. I never said that. Consider this sequence of events about halfway between the dream stage you have already seen and reality itself. Remember this. You'll have to work together. You'll have to function like machines. You will be handling totally alien equipment with only the sort of knowledge which can be played into your brains to guide you. Sophia sighed. Being an American, Kit is too much of an individual to help in such a situation. Temple snorted. Being a cog in a simple statewide machine is one thing. Orienting yourself in a totally new situation is another. Yes, well, see? Arcalian cautioned. See? Already you are arguing. But you must work together completely, with not the slightest conflict between you. As it is, you hardly have a chance. What about you? said Sophia practically. Can't you help? Arcalian shook his head. No. Well, I'd like to see you come out of this thing on top. I would not like to sacrifice my life for it, which is exactly what I'd do if I remained with you and you lost. So let's get down to detail. Imagine space being folded. Imagine your time sense slowing. Imagine a new dimension which negates the need for extensive linear travel. Imagine anything you want. But we are in the process of moving 900,000 light-years through deep space. 
There is a great galaxy at that distance, almost a twin of your Milky Way. You call it the Andromeda Nebula. Closer to your own system are the two Magellanic Clouds, so-called, something else which you table, NGC 6822, and finally the Triangulum Galaxy. All have billions of stars, but none of the stars have life. To find life outside your galaxy, you must seek it across almost a million light-years. My people live in Andromeda. Guarding the flank of their galaxy and speeding through intergalactic space at many light-years per minute is what you might call a space station, but on a scale you've never dreamed of. Five of your miles in diameter, it is a fortress of terrible strength, a storehouse of half a million years of weapon development. It has been arranged that the one man running the station... Just one? Temple asked. Yes, you will see why when you get there. It has been arranged that he will leave, ostensibly on a scouting expedition. You see... I am not alone in this venture. At any rate, he will report that the space station has been taken, as indeed it will be, by the two of you. The only ships capable of overtaking your station in its flight will be the only ships capable of reaching your galaxy before cultural development gives you a chance to survive. They will attack you. You will destroy them. Or be destroyed yourselves. Any questions? The whole thing sounded fantastic to Temple. Could the fate of all Earth rest on their shoulders in a totally alien environment? Could they be expected to win? Temple had no reason to doubt the former, as wild as it sounded. As for the latter, all he could do was hope. Tell me, he said, how will we learn the use of all the weapons you claim are at our disposal? Can you answer that for him, Sophia? Arcalion wanted to know. Um, I think so. The same way I had all sorts of culture crammed into me on Jupiter. Precisely. Only take it from me, our refinement is far better, and the amount you have to learn actually is less. What I would like to know, Sophia began, forget it. I want some sleep, and you'll learn everything that's necessary at the space station. And after that, ply Arcalion as they would with questions, he slumped down in his chair and rested. Temple could suddenly understand and appreciate. He felt like curling up in a tight little ball himself and sleeping until everything was over, one way or another. End of chapter 9